Well, how are you doing after the holidays? Good. Yeah, that's great. That's good. I, I, I like that. I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm doing great. Um, I don't know if you're like me. You know, here we come, you know, I had to kind of refocus myself on about Thursday and realize that there actually were days of the week. And I had to actually consider the fact that um, I might have to go to work at some point, you know. And I was laying on the couch too much. I ate too much. I spent a little bit too much money. I watched too many episodes of American Pickers. It was just that kind of a week. So now it's time to get back into the flow for 2018. And what many of you will do, and what many people do around the world, is make New Year's resolutions. And many times our New Year's resolutions are, you know, I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to uh, watch my weight, I'm going to um, do all these things, and spiritually I'm going to pray more, I'm going to memorize scripture, etc., etc. And none of those are bad in themselves. New Year's resolutions are really great. Nobody keeps them, but they're, they're great to start the year with. But they all have something in common is that's all striving. It's striving for something. It's trying to grab something. It's, it's trying to make ourselves better, which, again, isn't wrong in itself. But this morning I want to offer you a, a better way. I want to offer you something that is eternal, something that is absolutely, it's going to satisfy you and make you content, but it's not what the world is going to offer. And so the question I have for you is, why not make Jesus your New Year's resolution? And you say, well, what does that mean? How do you make Jesus a New Year's resolution? What I mean by that is learning to know him better, how to follow him, and allowing him to satisfy your soul. Why not do that in 2018? And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a look at what Paul says about this because Paul's a guy that understood this completely. Here's a man who was a Pharisee of all Pharisees. I mean, he was an elite Jewish leader. And he was feared, he was powerful, he was doing the work he thought was important for God, though he was killing Christians and imprisoning them, he had learned under the best. And then he laid his eyes on Jesus in the road to Damascus and everything changed. Jesus was so compelling for Paul that all of that other stuff became rubbish to him. And he was entirely focused on following Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you to consider what it would be like for you to follow Jesus in this way. And to make Jesus your New Year's resolution. You know, Paul wrote in Philippians about this idea of giving up everything. And he said this, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So he understood very clearly the priority system of the kingdom. He understood very clearly what was important for him. And we're going to learn from him as well as we look at the rest of that package. So please turn with me, if you would, to the book of Philippians, chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 8. And we're going to go through 11 this morning. If you want to grab that Bible on the seat back in front of you, it's page number 981. You can also take out your Ridgewood app, download that, or hop on it and go to, to Media, Study Notes, find the date, and you can follow right along there. All the scriptures there, outline is there, and you can also study the questions there as you go home. So this is about following Christ with a full-out passion. And when we make a New Year's resolution, normally we're really excited about that. 
And normally we overdo it. Last year I made a commitment to read 50 books. I didn't quite get there. In fact, I was pretty discouraged by January 3rd. But, you know, here's the thing. When it comes to Jesus, there is no, there, 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 you, can't, you can't oversell it. You can't overdo it because there's so much here. And so we see for Paul that he is our example of someone who understood that he only wanted Jesus. And so we're going to follow his example this morning. There was nothing more important than Christ to him. So look at 8 through 11, and I want you to see the passion that's in Paul's heart here. It, it flows out of him. It, it, it can't be squelched. Verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is a man that's fully in. This is a man who's not halfway across the fence. This guy's hopped the fence. He's in kingdom thinking. And I think it's exciting. And the context that he had here is he had a tremendous amount of credibility with the Philippian believers to whom he was writing. Because that church absolutely adored Paul. And Paul at this point was in prison. And the Philippian church had just given him a financial gift to show how much they love him. But Paul was concerned about some things that were happening in the Philippian church. There was heresy raining down on that church. And it really was in two forms. The first were the Judaizers. Now, the Judaizers were people that wanted to draw people back into the Jewish law and forsake the freedom that Christ was bringing. And so they were preaching that you had to be circumcised to be a Christian. And, of course, Paul and his missionaries were preaching that you just needed faith in Christ. These Judaizers were more than just philosophers, though. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians that they really threatened to hinder the gospel and would one day receive the wrath from God. So that was happening. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you had another philosophy called antinomianism. That's a big, long word, but it simply means this. Anti is against, and noma is the law. So it's against the law. So this philosophy was that, hey, Christians, you don't have any moral authority over you. So you can do pretty much whatever you want, very much, very much um, an aesthetic kind of thing where you, you look good on the outside, the insides don't really matter, and this was also being poured upon them. So you had the legalists and you had this antinomianism, and Paul was really concerned about the Philippian church. So what he did is he said, well, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to follow Christ. We're going, to, we're going to forget about these heresies. And we're going to focus in on what's really important. And I'm going to tell you what's important, Philippian church. Because I know that you respect me and you're going to listen to what I have to say to you. And that's what sets up this entire discussion. Is this idea of Paul arguing for 
Christ as the number one thing, complete devotion. And we begin to unpack Paul's passion in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. So there's two key words here. If you look at the passage, the words are loss and gain. And they're both financial terms. Loss is literally a business loss. Gain in the Greek is an accounting term that means profit. So what Paul is saying here is all of the activity that I've done, all the things that I thought were really important, all the things I'd done thinking I was pleasing God were of no profit at all. And I see them as loss in gaining the most precious thing, the most precious person, and that's Jesus Christ. And so if you put yourself back in the first century and you're reading this and your pastor or your planter, the father of your church is in prison and you're being hoarded by these, you're being hounded by these, these heretics. And then Paul comes forth and says, let me tell you what I'm passionate about. And they must have said, wow, this is so refreshing. This is beautiful. This is wonderful. Praise God for Paul. Because Paul understood what it meant to be satisfied just in Jesus. He didn't have to go anywhere else. And so he devoted his life to the cause of Christ. And so there are three things that he asks for in this passage. And they're strange at first. First of all, he wants to know Christ in his suffering. He wants to suffer with Christ. But he also wants to grow a deep faith in Christ. And then he wants to understand the power of the resurrection in his own life all in an effort to close, to be closer to Christ so that he can know Jesus better. Because Jesus is the passion of his life. And that's what I want for you, because that will lead you to eternity, it will lead you to contentment, and it will lead you to joy. So here's the first thing I want to talk about. And Paul brings it up. It's called suffering, and we don't like it. But it's in here. We've got to deal with it. So your resolutions can include a desire to know Jesus through suffering. Now, that may seem strange, but look at verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So knowing, believing in and becoming like all these categories are linked to intimacy with Christ. Paul is enamored with this idea of Cling, clinging to Jesus, of, of knowing Him better, of making Him His only pursuit. Because to know Christ means that it's experiential, that it's personal. It's not just knowing about Christ, it's knowing Christ. And this is hugely important as we try to bring Jesus to a fallen world. If we aren't passionate about Jesus, if we don't know Jesus, if He's just... Uh, a, a thing on a page in the Bible, if he's just a story we've heard in Sunday school, if he's just something on the outside on the cross of the church, but he's not personal, then number one, we're probably not saved, and secondly, we're not going to affect anybody for Jesus. So we have to know Christ. But the problem with that, and what many Christians don't want to deal with, is that suffering is a part of the equation. Paul wants to know Jesus in 
his suffering. So there have been many who have gone before us that have experienced this. And they've done amazing things for the kingdom. One of them is Adoniram Judson. And you say to yourself, who? Adoniram Judson? Adoniram Judson is a hugely influential man that many people don't know about. He was a missionary in the late 16th century, early 17th century. And he was called by God to go to Burma, which is now Myanmar. And at Burma, he was going to translate the entire Bible into Burmese. So he and his first wife, Anne, set out to do this mission. And they built a school, they trained pastors, began to translate, and it was hugely successful. Hundreds of thousands of people accepted Christ because of that mission. And even today, as part of the Baptist convention that Judson started, there are 3,700 congregations they're a part of that because of what he did there. But it came at a massively high cost. Unfortunately, during his time there, England went to war with Burma. And Judson was accused of being a spy for the West. And so he was thrown in prison, and he was beaten, and he was tortured. And meanwhile, his wife Anne was working feverishly to get him out of prison And he was finally released, but then shortly after he was released, she passed away. And that sent Judson into this period of his life, deep sorrow, deep, deep depression, wrestling with God, trying to struggle with his faith in the midst of all of this he had just experienced. But through all of that, he had translated the entire Bible into Burmese. Now, what he did is going to ring true for all of eternity. But it came at a high cost. He lost two wives. He lost three children. In 38 years, he was only able to go home once. And when he died, he didn't get a big fanfare, big funeral. He died on a ship. His body was thrown into the ocean. And at some point, he disappeared from the pages of history. But here's the thing. This is a man that was committed to the cause of Christ, and he understood that suffering was going to be part of the equation. And that suffering has been used by God to further the kingdom all along. Here's what Judson said about this idea. If I had not felt certain that every additional trial was ordered by infinite love and mercy, I could not have survived my accumulated sufferings. So Judson was well aware that God had sent those sufferings Strangely enough, to further his mission. And this is what Paul, I think, is referring to. I want to walk in the suffering of Christ because I know that Christ suffered in order to bring people into the kingdom. And so he was willing to go through suffering in order to make that happen. But we don't really like that. So what we do in in, in our churches many times is, we, we like being part of the Christian community. That's nice. We get friends. and We like walking high moral ground. That's good. That protects us. We don't, you know, we don't go off the rails. We like being a part of a church. We like Christian songs. All this stuff. We like Jesus. We love Jesus. But the road of suffering, now that's a different ballgame. And sometimes, in order for God to do His work fully, suffering has to be a part of the equation. 
And the naive part of this is that if you think you're going to go through your life without any suffering, good luck. Suffering is part of the Christian experience. And suffering will come, and Paul was willing to embrace that. And so he wanted Jesus to be his number one pursuit. If he was here, he would say, New Year's resolutions are stupid, but I'll make one. I'll make Jesus my New Year's resolution. Because I don't think Paul was that kind of a guy. But he was so in love with Christ that he was willing to embrace suffering. The second thing that he desired here is to have deep and lasting faith. So your resolutions can include a desire for a deep faith in Jesus. And faith is something that will help you to accomplish this goal of becoming more like Christ. Because Paul again knew that all of these earthly endeavors were worthless in comparison to walking with Jesus Christ. So look what he says in verse 9. He explains this. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So Paul didn't, he didn't rely on his own works. He didn't rely on all the things he'd done or all the things he'd learned. He was relying on faith in Christ. Because faith is what saves. All the way back to the Old Testament, faith has always been what saves. When Abraham believed God, he was credited with righteousness. Faith. But we don't really turn to faith so often. We want to somehow please God by earning our way forward. We want to impress God. We want God to be happy with us. And when we think he's not happy with us, then we withdraw and we think there's this mean God up there. In fact, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it's no big surprise for him. And the beautiful thing about the gospel message is that through faith in Christ, not only are we, are we saved, but the righteousness of Christ is literally imputed, given, put on us. So we wear the robe and clothing of righteousness through faith. And what that means is, when God looks at us, when the Father looks at us, He sees the beauty of His Son in us, because we are attached to Jesus and clothed in His righteousness. This was the message of the Gospel that Paul was so enamored with. The righteousness of Christ. Because he knew that there was no righteousness of his own. Loss became gain in his economy. But not the gain of the world, the gain of Christ. That's what I mean by making Jesus your New Year's resolution. Reorienting your priorities. Understand that Jesus is more important than anything else in your life. And then everything will flow from that. Loss becomes gain. And that gain is something infinitely valuable. It's Jesus. If you look here at Romans 8, or Romans 5 rather, 9 through 11. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God to to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Wow. 
Paul understood that there's nothing more important than that. But he also knew that faith was essential to have this kind of relationship with Christ. And faith can be difficult. And I know that we all struggle with faith. We all struggle with faith in different areas. There are many mornings, I'm sitting there writing my journal, I'm going verse by verse. I know it sounds kind of, yeah, I know, it's just verse by verse. So, but I'm, I'm looking at these concepts and I'm thinking, but I don't see that playing out in my life. Like, where is the transformation? I do the same stupid things all the time. Why aren't you saving this person I've been praying for? I prayed for my son Taylor for 21 years, and he's gone now. Why did that happen? What does prayer even matter? It's these kinds of faith struggles that we go through. And so God understands that, and he has given faith as a gift. And so we can pray for faith. And, and, and he's very clear on this in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So you can pray for faith. You're struggling? You, 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 it's not, it's not, listen, you're not a bad Christian when you struggle. I have, I have friends sometimes, they go like, yeah, I want to be a good Christian. I want to be a better Christian. Not sure there's a grid, you know? I think Jesus is with all of us in all of our journeys. And if you pray for faith, he will grant you faith. And I'll guarantee you that if Judson or Apostle Paul were here right now, they would say all that stuff we did for the kingdom is not going to save us at all. It's a result of the righteousness of Christ that we had the power to go out and do all of those things. And so he wanted more faith. He wanted to know Jesus without question. He wanted to draw up against Christ. He wanted faith even if it came through suffering. And Paul knew suffering. But it didn't, didn't sway him at all. And so that's the first two. Suffering and faith. But then he also says, listen, I want to understand the power of his resurrection. So your resolutions can include a desire to be like Christ, and to rely on His power. Look at the first few words of 10 again. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. I want to deal with that last few words there first. Becoming like Him in His death. What does that exactly mean? It means that Paul couldn't die an atoning death like Christ. Jesus died an atoning death in order to pay for all of our sin, so that those who believe in him could have eternal life. Paul didn't have that kind of power. Paul was not the sacrificial lamb. But what he could do, and what he was willing to do, is lay down his life for the same purpose. And so Jesus laid down his life to win people to the kingdom. Paul is saying, I'm willing to do that too in death to win people to the kingdom. And that's a big deal. Because, believe it or not, even these biblical characters who did amazing things, I don't think they were walking around saying, I'd like to die today. But he's saying, if that's what it takes, I want to identify with you in that. And so he was willing to lose everything so that he could experience the power of the resurrection. Verse 11, 
that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So he wanted to understand two things about the resurrection. Number one, he wanted to understand the power of the resurrection in his own life, and he also wanted to understand and identify with the power of the resurrection from the dead, eternal life. Now, recently we lost an incredible pastor and theologian. It was felt deeply around the Christian community. R.C. Sproul passed away on December 14th. R.C. Sproul was an amazing, amazing guy. Many people have compared him to be a kind of a a modern-day Luther because of his incredible theological expertise and the way he pastorally gave it to people. And, And he was amazing because he was able to appeal to so many wide spectrums of the of the Christian community. But the one thing that Sproul, that kind of set him apart from others, is he talked a lot about the kingdom of God. He talked about the holiness of God, and he talked about resurrection. He, he, he was absolutely, without a doubt, convinced that he would experience resurrection from the dead through faith in Christ. And now he is experiencing that in his death. And so, as he went through the trials of his life, he always kept in front of him that there was this power that he could rely on. Here's what Sproul said about this. I hope in anything or anyone less than, if I hope in anything or anyone less than one who has power over suffering and ultimately death, I am doomed to final disappointment. Suffering will drive me to hopelessness. What character I have will disintegrate. It is the hope of Christ that makes it possible for us to persevere in times of tribulation and distress. We have an anchor for our souls that rests in the one who has gone before us and conquered. Jesus Christ has conquered. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And and, and that defeated death For all time. That's the power of the resurrection. Paul wanted that. He understood the meaning of that. And so he said, I want to be like Christ. I I, I so much want to walk in his suffering. I want to know him by faith. I want to understand his power. Paul was all in. There wasn't any aspect of Paul's life where you look at it and go like, that doesn't make sense. You're saying you're in, but that doesn't. No, he wasn't perfect, I'm sure. There are a lot of articles written about him. And the, the guess is he was quite type A, maybe difficult to work with because he was so intense. But his life lined up with Jesus. And so the eternal process of thought is what I want for you. And, and Paul, here's the thing about Paul, is he was definitely aware of his past, right? He killed people. He persecuted the church. He said he was the worst of all sinners. And maybe it's that connection with who we really are that fuels this passion for Jesus in the end. Maybe it's the understanding. Some of you, I know, some of you came to know Christ when you were like five years old and you can't remember ever walking without Christ. But you can probably remember times in your life when you wandered away from Christ. And how disconnected you felt and how 
welcoming it was to come home. And for those of you who accepted Christ later in your life, you understand what it means to have grace given you. Because you've done things and said things that you don't think you can even forgive yourself for. This is what I think fueled Paul. It's this incredible grace. It's the power of God. So I want this for you. And I want you to move toward an eternal mindset. I want you to be satisfied in Christ. I don't want you to be out looking for crazy religious experiences or experiences in the world. I want you to be settled in Christ. And here's what that means. If you look at this passage, it means that you can have a purpose to your life. You can know Christ. And knowing Christ gives you purpose. It's not about you anymore. Now it's about knowing Jesus and stepping out into his mission. You can have peace through faith. Because if you develop faith in who Jesus is, you don't have to have anxiety and worry. Because you understand that Jesus has already said, I've conquered the world. Jesus said, I'll be with you always until the end of the age. You can be transformed through resurrection power. It's not just for when you die, it's for now. You have the same power in you that rose Jesus from the dead to transform your marriage, your relationship, to get you out of addiction to overcome shame, to overcome bitterness, to overcome a lackadaisical spirit, to overcome doubt. That's all in you because you have the power of Christ. And so I want you to embrace that in 2018. And here's how you can do that. And you can do this on a piece of paper when you get home. You can do it in your Ridgewood app, which is handy because you can just type the notes in. Why don't you do this? Why don't you just pray about it and then write down three areas of your life that you need to move in a different direction in order to find this fullness of Christ. Maybe it's just a prayer request. Maybe you just say, listen, yeah, that that resonated with me about faith, so I'm going to pray for faith. I'm going to add that to my prayer list. Or maybe it's that you know that you're holding on to bitterness of some kind. And God just wants you to release that so he can work in your life fully so you can know Jesus in, in, a, in a full manner. Maybe it's, maybe it's as simple as saying, I'm going to start asking you what it would mean for me to submit to you fully because I don't really understand that. And then the prayer that can be so frightening, but it's needed, is whatever you want from me, you got it. Whatever you want from me. Whatever you need to take, whatever you need to do, whatever I need to sacrifice, you have my heart. And so just jot some notes. Start to pray over these things. Don't strive for them. Pray over them. Because listen, the new year is already here. 2018 is upon us. God has things for you, waiting for you, to discover. And if it's only temporal things those things will all pass away. But making Jesus our New Year's resolution means that we are going to move into eternal values, snuggle up to our Lord and Savior, because He's waiting for us there. And He loves you. And His arms are open. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that we have a Savior that loves us, that is not mean or vindictive, but is a righteous judge. 
And we thank you for the righteousness of Jesus' blood that saves us through faith. God, the things we're talking about here are countercultural, even to the Christian evangelical world. We're taught in the evangelical world that we can be satisfied now, that we can get what we want now. Eternity is rarely even discussed. But yet Paul was bent on living an eternal life. And so I pray that we would do the same. Help us, God, as a church and as individuals to be wholly sold out for Christ. And I just pray for this flock, God, that you would do that in us so that we can move forward to where you want us to go. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.